Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Hello, and welcome again to our study in the book of Exodus. Let's begin with prayer. Lord Jesus, Three words we remember that you said, learn of me. Help us, Lord, today as we open the scriptures to learn of you. We thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, please follow along here as I read in Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now, Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now, you remember in our last study how we saw how God had enrolled Moses in this special school that we call the school of the backside of the desert. And that was designed to cure Moses from all that he had been instructed in and trained in and led in in the palace there, which was called in Acts 7, learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Now, Moses didn't know how long that course was going to last, but in fact, as we saw, it lasted 40 years. It's a good thing that Moses didn't know how long he would be in that school, how long he would be in the backside of the desert, or else Moses might have fainted with the thought that he was going to be there for 40 years. And in the same way, it's a good thing for us that we can't see what God has planned to cure us from the sin that lies within us. It's a good thing that we can't see how long a course might be that God has planned for us. We might faint also. But like Moses, we just trust and obey. Just like the song says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So at the end of these 40 years, of this 40-year course that Moses went through, he graduated, and he graduated with the degree of meekness. That's what God conferred on him, the degree of meekness. And at that time, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to Moses where we are now in the burning bush. So in our last study, we saw how God chose just a common, everyday, run-of-the-mill desert bush to be in. Now, 
Notice those words in verse 2. A flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. As Moses looked at this bush, he saw just an ordinary bush, but an extraordinary flame of fire coming out of the middle of the bush. So there was this very unusual sight that arrested Moses. You know, what it says about the Lord Jesus Christ is that a body, a particular body, was prepared for him. A particular body was prepared for God, the Lord Jesus Christ, that body that he would dwell in. And the particular body that he would dwell in is referred to in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, wherefore it says, when he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. The body was prepared. The particular body, it was chosen, it was prepared for the Lord Jesus to dwell in. And that was the body that was referred to. God chose the exact body that he would live in. He chose it perfectly. And that body is referred to in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2, where it speaks about that prepared body that, he, that God chose to dwell in. And it says, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, the body that God chose, the chariot, if you will, that God chose to ride in was nothing special. The body was chosen to be nothing special. And the bush that God chose to dwell in there in the desert was chosen to be a nothing special bush. But from that bush, a flame of fire came out. And the body of the Lord Jesus Christ was nothing special, just a common body, but from his body, an extraordinary glory emanated. That's why when John referred to him, he wrote it this way in John 1.14. The first prologue in John, the Gospel of John, speaks about his deity. It speaks about right in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. John explains, goes down, he talks about the Word till he finally comes in the first chapter of John to verse 14 when he says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then it says also in Matthew 7, 28 through 29, and again, this is looking through the eyes of those who saw him at that time, and it says, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So they were just grabbed, riveted by his doctrine. Why? Because of the authority that he taught with. He taught with authority. It wasn't like the scribes. It wasn't this dry, dusty, dead, academic, religious type of talk. This was relevant. This was coming with the authority of heaven and of God. And he taught them with that authority. And when the officers of the temple were sent to take him, the account is written like this in John 7, 45 through 46. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. That was the glory 
that John was talking about. Common body, yes. Extraordinary glory, yes. The glory, we beheld his glory. Those who just saw the Lord Jesus were not impressed because just like no one would be impressed with uh, seeing a common desert bush, but when he spoke, when he did his miracles, there was a glory like the words of Exodus 3.2, a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. When we received the Lord Jesus Christ, God made us as believers temples, and he put within us, inside of us, his spirit, his Holy Spirit. That's what's referred to in 1 Corinthians 3.16, where it says, know ye not, that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. So we are very much like the common desert bush and the Spirit of God inside of us is like the flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And like that common desert bush and the flame of fire in it, our bodies are referred to again in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 in this way. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So our bodies are just like common earthly vessels, and the Spirit of God is called the treasure that's in us. God does this so that it will be clear to everyone that the excellency of the power may be seen as from God and not from us. He does it so that it becomes very, very obvious that this is surpassing the person. It's like you could say, boy, if you knew him before, like me, if you knew me before, what a muzzock I was, what a destroyer I was as a little kid, you'd say, can it be the same person? It's not the same person. Why? It's an earthen vessel that the Spirit of God is inside of, the treasure. Why? So that it's clear that the excellency of the power is seen of God and not from us. That's God's design. That's what he wants. That's how he refers to his design and what he wants. His goal with this in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29, where he says, For ye see your calling, brethren, that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So whenever you're feeling like you're getting a little proud, read this passage, and it's like looking at a mirror and what God says, now look at yourself, and what you're gonna see is that you're not wise, you're not mighty, you're not noble, you're foolish, you're weak, you're something which is despised, you're something which is not, N-O-T. It says, and God does all of this to bring to zero the things that are. Why? So that no flesh should ever glory in his presence. God says that we should look on who God calls to use so that we can see all these things and realize that God chose a Moses on the backside of a desert, an abominable shepherd in the eyes of the Egyptians. Why? So that Moses' flesh 
should not glory in his presence. That's an interesting picture of us when we think of that us, the common desert bush and the Holy Spirit in us as the flame of fire coming out of the middle of this bush. There's, there's no thrilling real, there's no greater, there's no greater thrill, there's no greater thrilling realization for us as believers than to come to this full understanding that God's Spirit lives in us. Now, I know we know that as a doctrine. I know we know that because the Bible says it, but the question is, has it really come to impact us? Have we gotten a hold of it? Do we really understand this? God's Holy Spirit living inside of us. You know, this was the truth that when it grabbed Apostle Paul, it changed him. It did something for him. He speaks about this, not only in Galatians 2.20 where he said, Christ liveth in me, but in Galatians 1, 15 through 18, where he wrote about his life story, and he said, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia, and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. So here was Paul with a tremendous call from God to, as a Jewish person, to go to the despised Gentiles and, as he put it, preach among the heathen. That was really, for Paul, a mission impossible. How is Paul going to preach among the heathen? We see that in verse 15 of this Galatians 1 chapter, we see that Paul had his call from God. He said, God called me by his grace. And now the question is, how is Paul going to be able to do that? Where is his enablement going to come from? And Paul says it was revealed to him, his enablement from God was revealed to him. What was the enablement that God gave Paul to accomplish what God was calling him to do? Very simple. He said, God revealed his son in me. When God revealed to Paul that his son was in him, in the person of the spirit of his son, then when God revealed to Paul that his spirit of his son was in him, Paul saw himself as just that common everyday desert bush, but the Spirit of God in him was that flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. This was the great revelation that God gave to Paul of the how he was going to do it. This was the how-to God was saying to Paul. This is how you're going to fulfill my call. Paul, you're going to go and preach among the heathen. How, God, how? Sit tight, Paul. Verse 16, because I'm going to reveal my son in you so that you might preach him among the heathen. How was God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in Paul? The Lord Jesus Christ was in Paul in the person of the spirit of his son, called in the Bible the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God, also called in the Bible the Spirit of God. Of Christ. That's exactly how Peter described the Old Testament prophets as being able to write the prophecies that they wrote in the Bible. Turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. 1 Peter 1, verse Peter 1, verses 10 through 11, where Peter speaks about the Old Testament prophets 
and he addresses how in the world they were able to see and write the things that were going to happen in the future. And he says, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Peter described the ability of the prophets as coming from the Spirit of Christ which was in them. So the Spirit of Christ and the prophets made each one of the prophets a common everyday desert bush with the Spirit of Christ in them as a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Now whether it's Paul or whether it's the prophets or whether it's us, we come to understand how we can do all things through Christ. As God reveals to us that the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of His Son, is in us, then we understand. When God reveals to us that the Spirit of His Son is in us, then we will see ourselves as the common, everyday desert bush and the Spirit of God as a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. When we see that Romans 7, 8 is true for us, which says that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. When we see that John 15, 5 is true of us, where it says about the Lord Jesus Christ that without me ye can do nothing. When we see that John 14, 16 through 17 is true for us about the Holy Spirit where it says that he may abide with you forever and that he dwelleth with you and shall be in you then we will have the confidence to say the very words of Philippians 4.13 that I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Then we see ourselves as the common everyday desert bush and the Spirit of God as a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And that also changes how we see our temptations, and our trials. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1, which is the beginning of the temptation of the Lord in the desert wilderness, where it says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Then was Jesus led up into the wilderness. He was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. That verse is telling us that it's the Spirit of God who led the Lord Jesus into the wilderness so that he could be tempted by the devil. That verse is indicating to us that it's the Spirit of God who wants to do battle with the devil through the Lord Jesus. When we look at temptations and trials, we say, oh, the devil is wanting to destroy me. I have to fight with the devil. But when we are tempted and tried, it's actually the Spirit of God in us that wants to fight with the devil through us. And when we're tempted and tried, it's the Spirit of God in us who wants to triumph over the devil through us. So Matthew 4.1 is actually telling us that the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. It's the Spirit of God in us who wants to defeat the devil through us. We're just a common desert bush, nothing special. But there is a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush that will defeat the devil. 
Now that also means when the devil challenges us, when the devil attacks us, the devil does not have his goal to defeat just a common everyday desert bush. The devil is actually challenging and attacking the flame of fire coming out of the midst of a bush. And when we are conscious of this and always conscious of the fact that the Spirit of God is in us, then we will see every challenge and attack on us from the devil as really a challenge and attack on the Spirit of God in us. That means we're just a common desert bush, but it's the Spirit of God or the flame of fire in the midst of the bush that the devil is really attacking. Now, we come now to verse two. What amazed Moses when he saw the bush was described for us in verse two where it says, and he looked and behold the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. Moses was first drawn to see the bush that was burning with fire. That's not an everyday occurrence, but it was that this bush was not consumed. That's what grabbed him. He first he goes to look at the bush, it's on fire, but then he realizes the bush isn't burning up. And that just amazed Moses. You know, a Russian czar one time asked an advisor, what's the greatest proof that the Bible is true? And the advisor replied back, two words, the Jew. The fact that the Jew has survived is the greatest proof that the Bible is true. And that burning bush with the fire, it's actually even used today in Israel as a symbol for the nation of Israel. Why? Because so many times the Jewish people have been targeted for destruction from the Romans to the, well, even before the Romans, from the Canaanites and from, as we're here, with the Egyptians and then the Romans to the Inquisition to the Crusades to the pogroms to the Nazis. The Jews have been, been targeted over and over and over again. But you know what? The Jews actually end up attending their funerals. And the Jew remains. And today we have the Iranians and the Palestinians and they've targeted the Jew for destruction. And the Jew will survive. Why? Why? because the Jew is like the bush that was not consumed with fire. Moses described the Jewish people in Egypt in Deuteronomy 4.20 as in an iron furnace when he said this, Deuteronomy 4.20. But the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance as ye are this day. So from this verse, it really appears that Pharaoh was like Hitler. Hitler had iron furnaces, concentration camps. Pharaoh had iron furnaces for what purpose? To burn the body, bodies of the Jewish people. So as a matter of fact, it's actually believed that when we get to Exodus 8, when God told Moses in the third plague for Aaron to strike the dust in Exodus 8, that it was actually the dust of the burnt Jewish bodies from the iron furnaces that was struck and then turned to lice. So down through history, the Jews have gone from one iron furnace to another iron furnace. So what explanation does the Bible give for why the Jewish people have not and will not be consumed by all those iron furnaces? Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 63, verse 7. Isaiah 63, 7 through 10, where it's written this. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. For he said, 
Surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 